HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief, with your hosts, Sara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. On this show, we're going to really explore where grief and food intersect, how they go hand in hand, different people's experiences with their specific traumas and how food played a part from the beginning to the end of that experience. And how as individuals, we uniquely process life's traumas and losses through either the longing for, the creating of, the avoiding of, the obsessing over, and the eating of food. I remember right after Michael died, I still miss him, but I missed him so badly that night that I stopped at the convenience store on the corner and I bought a container of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia. It's too sweet, you know, it's too everything. And I went home with it and I took it to bed and I thought to myself, gee, so this is my first menage a trois after Michael's death. <laughs> Me, Ben, and Jerry. And I ate the entire thing. What do you think your relationship to food was during times of crisis? I think that um, my sister and I use food to reward ourselves. I wish I had something more no, interesting to say, but definitely like spaghetti and meatballs and chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> my mom still can't eat rugula. It makes her too sad. I've also experienced a lot of loss, as has Bobby. And I think we really wanted to find a way where we could like work together. There's something that feels very compelling about doing a project with you, Mom, um, as just kind of a missing piece in life and just something we've always wanted to do but not known quite how. can't think of anything better myself. I think that, I mean, any conversation about grief, I think, prepares everyone for grief because there are so few conversations about grief. It's why I think that what you guys are doing is so important. (laughs) Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Today, as my guest, I have an extraordinary woman, a 19-year-old who has done more podcasting, speaking, TEDxing, writing, traveling, perhaps than most of you in the audience, and perhaps even me, a veteran of many of those things as well. Welcome, Haley Thomas. Thank you so much for having me. So... 
one of the things that I'm most impressed by is the not-for-profit that you started called HAPPY. And HAPPY is a happy acronym. Do you want to talk about what the acronym stands for? Yes. So HAPPY stands for Healthy, Active, Positive, Purposeful Youth. And I started it when I was 12 years old, which is like insane that that was seven years ago already. I'm like feeling very old, um, even though I'm not really that old. It's weird. But um, yeah, so we started it to provide plant-based nutrition education to youth in underserved communities. And uh, now we've expanded our mission since last year to really go into more so holistic wellness. So encouraging self-care and empowerment through food, but also also the ability to prioritize our own well-being. And so we're transferring all of that information to young people so that we're really equipped to put ourselves first as we enter the world and as we grow up and through food, through self-care, through mental health care and things like that. And so uh, we're really excited to expand that, but it's been an incredible seven years just like testing things out and doing summer cooking camps and traveling all over the world teaching kids about this. What I find remarkable is the journey started when you were 10. And I just want to go behind the scenes. Like, how did that happen? How did you end up with that, this notion in mind even before starting your not-for-profit? It's kind of interesting. I feel like I was almost born like as just a more mature child. And I'm kind of into astrology and things like that. So I'm always looking it up. And I'm a Capricorn. And there was this one article that was like, these children are basically born as adults. And so um, I was even recently looking back on some of these videos. And I was like, what? Like, who was I? It was, <laughs> it was so weird to view. Like, I feel like I was almost the same person in, in a lot of ways. Like, just very together for a kid and um you know in terms of what inspired me wanting to start talking about health and wellness for my peers was when my dad was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes when I was eight years old and um me just kind of going through this journey of learning about health and wellness with my family and us working towards reversing his condition without the use of medication and so that sparked a whole journey of learning about food where it comes from how it grows that type of thing but also how food has been affecting my peers and learning about kids getting type 2 diabetes and heart disease and uh, just suffering from so many illnesses caused by food, I was very upset and felt betrayed and like it didn't make any sense that we weren't learning this in school um, as almost a birthright, you know, we just step into this world kind of absorbing everything that everyone's telling us is right and, and what's good for us and what we need to know and learn and we just take that and so um, through that, I was really just inspired to try to say something to my peers, and um, my family and I just kind of took a leap of faith, I like to say. I watched you at age 10, and then I watched you at like 16, 17, 18, you know, with the speaking that you've done, and you are the same person. It is not like that 10-year-old was like struggling and like adorable, you know, but inarticulate. You've just had this poise, but that, that a sort of anger. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that something that you felt in in school and everything that you were doing? It, did it characterize all of your interactions in the world? Yeah, I think I f- my parents have always kind of um, raised me with the idea of like turning anger into action or when I Uh, see something that I don't really agree with like how can I counteract that and whether that's just having deeper conversations about what's happening in the world or within my own family or personal challenges that I have at home I mean when I was like I don't know seven like my parents would have friends over and they're debating like all sorts of things and I'm sitting right there like they never you know told me to go and play and go do a child's thing or anything I was just able to really soak in everything and that's kind of how I started to establish my role in the world through just being 
accepted as a human being and not really degraded by how old I was. At a very young age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's continued. And when you decided to take this knowledge and the decision to act, you decided to bring your peers along. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose education and teaching your peers as opposed to anything else? Mm -hmm. I think it's because that's what worked for me. It was this hands-on interaction with food and uh, my parents are both Jamaican so like food is everything to our family and it has always been uh, even before my dad's health issues and you know, my parents have also always been the type who are just always looking into things and kind of digging deeper. And so, yeah, I feel like that was kind of almost like the natural direction. I really didn't think of anything else other than to build community and start sharing the things that I loved. Your parents, did they also live with that same sense of purpose in what they were doing in their professions or what they were doing at home? I mean, was there a model at home? Um, it's very interesting. Actually, no. And I'm always like, perplexed by or actually amused by how like they've become these human beings based on their upbringing I mean they were absolutely like told to stay in a child's place and kind of I mean just shut down and ignored in many ways through just kind of typical traditional Jamaican culture and you know my mom was raised by her grandmother and lived with like all of her cousins and she didn't really have a mother figure around or a father figure. And so like the fact that she's this incredible mother is like beyond me. I really don't know how that happened, but I do because I feel like she has gone through so much in her life where she kind of had to become her own teacher and, and have life be her teacher. And that has also been passed down to me in many ways of like understanding that I can be my most valuable resource as well. And then my dad, I mean, he came from a family of, like what 12 siblings 13 like it's 13 of them and um he's like the second youngest and they grew up just going to church all the time and like these very uh regiment kind of like mentality and the fact that that's not at all how our family operates is just um something so interesting to me but again it's like they want to kind of provide an experience that they know would have helped them grown a little earlier and uh that's what they try to provide for me and my sister they knocked it out of the park <laughs> with the two of you. But also I think another thing that's a big part of their parenting is that they're very vulnerable. And I think that's something that I've seen kind of lack in parents is trying to put up this like facade of strength and not really, you know, sharing what's going on in the family. And we've gone through so much together over the past decade. Um, I think, you know, we see a lot of adults like trying to make it seem like they've got it all together and trying to create like this fantasy fairy tale thing, but their vulnerability has allowed me and my sister to grow with them versus like just kind of on the outskirts watching and not really understanding. So I'm curious what it's like to work with your mom because mm -hmm. I have to believe that behind um, so many of the appearances that you've made and even working on the book today, you've had your mother as your partner. Yeah. Is it ever a struggle to have your mother's like you're still a kid and she's still your mom so mm -hmm. what is that like and how does one make I have a daughter who's 19 so Sylvie oh, listen to this yeah <laughs> <laughs> how do you make your mom your best partner like how does that work 
Um, I think that we've just always had a really close relationship to begin with. Um, I'm her firstborn, and I think we have so many similar interests and passions and kind of motivations in life, and that just connects us automatically. And obviously, I guess I got them from her, but um, I'm like, oh, you know, pass on, like, passions. No, like, she's really helped me grow those things. But there are, of course, like, struggles and conflicts, and, you know, I think... A big turning point has been kind of her helping me understand how to navigate this journey. Like when I first started out, she would help me write speeches. And there was a certain point where I didn't fully understand like how much of what I was saying was my voice. But it was a part of the journey because I had to understand how to express this message and to fully understand like why I'm really in it. And I think being able to do that alongside with her was really helpful because I was able to ask those questions and to, you know, get advice on, you know, how should I tweak this or say this? And then over time, I've just been able to fully understand like what my voice really is. And I think there was a turning point where I had to do some speaking engagement and my mom was like, you need to figure it out. And at that point, I felt like I actually could just based on the fact that she trusted me to do that and yeah I mean we've definitely had our moments where you know I want to say this and she's like oh, I don't know that's a little like too Gen Z or whatever you know like um for instance my book um my book cover launch video like I had this one like meme sound in it and she was like that is just too much like you shouldn't do that and I had to fight for it <laughs> and so you know it's just like figuring out that balance of kind of what she thinks is like quote-unquote professional and me balancing that with what I think is myself. Of course you're going to want to communicate in memes because like your entire you know peer group communicates in memes. Yeah. Do you feel like you missed out on like being a kid at all? I mean um, you were born old and you've, been, <laughs> and you've been traveling and lecturing and you know all that. I really don't think so because I always kind of had this experience of like, in a way it was negative for me at first, but like I felt like I was one person at home who's like normal, like quote unquote normal and, you know, watches Netflix and, you know, scrolls on Instagram and like, you know, watches memes and dumb stuff like that. And then me who goes out into the world and like, you know, speaks and travels and all of that. And um, I think that considering them as two separate people was just like really messing with me and it was this feeling of where I just couldn't really be my genuine self which is both of those worlds coming together and so um you know being a kid has fully been a part of this journey basically I think that what I'm doing is not an adult thing it's just me following my passion and being able to express myself how do you feel about your I mean, not as a spokesman for your generation, because that's really hard, but as a member mm -hmm. of a, a generation that in some ways feels like the older generation screwed it up and like, we have to fix it. Does that connect with you at all? Um, I think that in a lot of ways, yes and no. I think that sometimes it's a little harsh to to almost have no compassion for the circumstances in which these issues were formed, if that makes sense. Like, I think just blaming people and be like, you like screwed everything up and you know, now we have to like swoop in and save it. Like, I don't think it's that cut and dry. I think that why we are so aware and are so empowered is because we have access to information that generations before us never had. And I think that if we imagine, you know, if they had this and they knew what was going on behind the scenes, I mean, most people uh, are not the ones making these, you know, 
like earth damaging decisions you know we're focusing on like working for our families and building our careers and you know just living our lives and I think that was what the focus of past generations have been is just really on like building your internal world for us with so much exposure we're able to look outside of that and that wasn't available as much as it is today and I think um, having compassion for that and just seeing older generations as allies versus just pointing the finger like it's all it's our planet we're on it <laughs> we all need to figure it out i think that maybe we can put more blame on like the corporations and the governments and people who knew what they were doing versus just like uh, an entire generation of people who were so unaware and ignorant like i think just using the tools available to us to work together is really the best thing we can do do you think there's an advantage to being 19 and taking this on i think yes i mean in terms of what our media culture is like you know the younger you are and the more you care the more publicity you'll get for it um and you know that's just something that has grown even more as as you know youth activism has become trendier and you know that's a whole other story but um what do you think of the (laughs) trendiness of youth activism i think that it can easily become very disingenuous um i've seen you know a lot of activists and and people in that kind of type of community do a lot of this work for for personal gain and like now being an activist is cool and so it's more centered on like photo ops and meeting celebrities and meeting famous activists and getting followers where it's not really rooted in intention and tangible impact and that's why I'm always like really happy that I started this before there was almost like this expectation of what a youth activist was because I was able to step into this like completely unknowing of what was going on or what it could become and it just kind of helped me define my own path but now I see a lot of young kids and even parents who try to like fit their kids into this box of like this is what it looks like you need to be in this room you need to be doing this you know this is how you're supposed to present yourself and your passions and um I think I've just always been aware of kind of just the power of me and and I think that's a really vital piece of why we do the work that we do with these kids is that we want them to realize early on that regardless of their circumstances like if they're able to nourish themselves in the ways that they can physically mentally emotionally like you are set like you are able to start to realize a life that's different than that and even if your circumstances don't change your perception of them uh makes all the difference and i think it just opens you up to being able to learn from your challenges and things like that so we're going to take a quick break just stay with us this episode is brought to you by fair kitchens The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. 
Welcome back. You are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. I have an extraordinary guest today, Haley Thomas, and we are talking about activism, youth, and the future. So how did you form a connection with Michelle Obama, who was doing the Let's Move campaign, I think, yes, at the time? Yeah. Um, so in 2010, I did my first speech at the Partnership for a Healthier America Summit. How did, how did they find you? <laughs> yeah. So I was on the Alliance for Healthier Generations Youth Advisory Board, which was like my first step into uh, health advocacy. And they were an organization that had like a bunch of kids from all over the country who were passionate about health and wellness. And they wanted to really provide like the tools and resources to help us get into our communities and share a message um i believe that how did they find you (laughs) i had to apply so that was like my first thing that we did we just googled and we're like is there some kind of board or something that i can join to learn more and just get more educated um and so yeah i applied it was this whole process and then eventually i got the call that i was picked and it's just based off of my experience with my dad and my little sister and i had a youtube cooking show at the time called kids can cook and so that was what they had kind of based my joining the board off of. And then through that, you know, as I got to go on to like orientations and just getting to know their team, they started kind of recognizing this potential in me to just share my story and talk about how important it is for young people to be involved in their health. And uh, through that, I was able to get the opportunity to speak at the Partnership for a Healthy America Summit. And then it was my first speech ever and I got a standing ovation. Like it was insane. Uh, thinking back to that day, I can like see it so clearly. When you look back and see it, what do you see? Like, what do you remember? Um, well, I remember the dress I was wearing. It was like gray and white and um, my hair, I was always straightening my hair <laughs> for these events, which is interesting turn of events. Um, yeah, I remember that and I just remember being on stage and uh, when it had ended, like everybody, like this is a huge room. It had to be like 700 people, a thousand, I think. Yeah. And just everybody started getting up and clapping. And I was just so overwhelmed with like this feeling of like, this is it. Like people value my voice and it matters to them and they are showing it in this huge way. Um, And so it was just kind of this feeling of like pure joy, but then like later on in the event i got to um, meet first lady michelle obama for like 10 seconds and the coolest thing was that like the whole room just stopped to swarm her and just let me have these like 10 seconds with her and that was also made possible by uh the former white house chef sam cass who's been a huge mentor and supporter um and so he like handed me over to her and then I was like <laughs> not even sure what was going on she was talking to me and just telling me to you know keep going and things like that and then from there I got to interact with her at least like seven more times um, which again I, it's just crazy and what did you take away from your conversations with Michelle Obama I feel like she's just uh, such an encouraging and, and loving person like that's just the vibe that she gives off to everyone genuinely and um I feel like just that support and encouragement from such a figure of like just female black woman accomplishment and and who you can be and embody and the the type of person that you can show up as in the world. And, you know, it was just like an an incredible inspiration for me to, of course, keep going, but also like look at what's possible. I want to talk about dreams for a minute, because when you were a little kid, you dreamt of being a writer Mm -hmm. and you've just finished writing your first book and it'll be published in May of 2020. But I thought you said something interesting about dreams, which is you put in the infrastructure to make them happen, and sometimes you have to give them up. I mean, Mm -hmm. not 
sadly, but just because they're not the right ones. Like, what dreams did you have, and like, what are your thoughts about that? I think my general perception of dreams is kind of like you have them, but I think you don't have a chokehold on them. And I say this because the way that my life has played out is very different from what I thought I wanted, but it's almost like the core parts of what I wanted are still represented and reflected in what I do now. Like, I wanted to be a Disney kid at first when I was really little. I was super into acting and um, and even with writing, I mean, I've always loved that. They were like the weirdest, craziest stories, but it was just something I like, did in my free time as like a fun thing. And I would write like 50 page little books and things like that. And so now to have written like a 300 plus page book is uh, insane, insane to me. Um, what's been interesting is that I've just always had this knowing that my life would play out in a way that it was unconventional. Like nobody forced anything onto me in terms of who I was going to be or what path I was going to take. So with that, I think my dreams just kind of manifested in this way that's more pr- purposeful and intentional than I could have ever imagined. So. And you chose not to go to college. Yes, I did. <laughs> Tell me about that. Oh yeah. So um, I decided not to go officially like a year and a half ago maybe because I was just really tired of lying to people about going but also lying to myself. I mean, yeah, leading up to like graduating high school and I was homeschooled for this, but um, I just kept getting all the questions like, so what's next? Like, where are you going? And I just felt a lot of pressure to like live up to the certain standard. But to be honest, I mean, I never really imagined myself like in college. And I know some kids like actually have that as something that they think about as little kids and you know through middle school and high school I just never really actually thought about it and um, I kind of just had to think to myself like why am I doing this if it's not actually for me and for my growth and things like that then why am I going down this path of traditional education and you know it doesn't mean I'm like anti-education or anything um, but the path and in, in, in which I gain knowledge I just like that traditional format is just not for me and it doesn't also it doesn't fit into my lifestyle that I have I mean I literally wouldn't be flunking everything right now uh because I just I feel like if I have this time and energy that I can use right now I want to put that towards things that I love and care about and last year I had an experience where I went to this event to speak and the people who had invited me like the CEO had confronted me about not going to college and did this whole thing like talking about how you know my peers are at this certain level like below me and I'm above them at this point but once they graduate college they're going to close that gap and they're going to catch up in this race and I was like I'm not in any race or competition with anyone this is like my own thing to craft and create and that kind of sealed the deal for me um the fact that he wouldn't even like feel comfortable with like this older white man would feel comfortable to project his expectations onto me and to act as if he knew what was best for me and I was just so upset and um, I think it was one of the best moments in my life though because I was just able to fully stand up for my decision for myself and in a way that wasn't like you know shading him or, or being demeaning or rude just like clearly explaining that I have never been in a race with anyone and will never be in a race with anyone and that this 
life of mine is filled with purpose and intention and fulfillment and that's all I want in life and I'm able to experience what I would be studying to experience anyway so if I can continue to cultivate experiences that are meaningful to me and meaningful to others then I'm already checking off a lot of boxes on my personal fulfillment list so how do you figure out ways in which you can grow yourself and then help other people find growth for themselves? I think that the best way to do that is simply by just sharing our stories and our experiences. And that's what I've been trying to continuously just get comfortable with is just being more vulnerable and open and like all this amazing stuff is happening, but I'm extremely overwhelmed and stressed and scared and tired and that can coexist and that's okay and when I open up and I share those things so many people just feel I mean it's kind of corny to say seen but like they feel seen you know and they feel as though like wow I had this perception of you that you had everything together and it's like no we're all humans just trying to figure this out trying to make things work trying to battle internal conflicts and external conflicts and it's just like in September I was just having a whole internal meltdown and I couldn't express that with anyone because I was so afraid of being judged that you know I was being ungrateful and that you know I was like I don't know just not taking care of myself and things like that and and that's why things were falling apart but it was simply because it was just too much and um once I was able to open up with you know my parents about that and talk about that and just release it because I was just repressing it so much that I was feeling really overwhelmed and nearing burnout and just kind of depressed like I once I was able to release that like everything started to fall into place and make sense and um I was able to figure out with a clear head like how I could move forward easier and and better and in a healthier way and that sparked a huge part of the book like it added so much value to the book experiencing this horrible thing where I was staying up until 3 a.m like every day and stressed out so much and just not taking care of myself that helped emphasize what I was trying to portray in the book and share in the book about how important self-care really is and coming from a person like I thought I understood this whole self-care thing but I sure (laughs) didn't. I wonder how you deal with all of the different things you do because the list of advisory councils or ambassadorships Mm -hmm. I mean not to countries but uh, (laughs) organizations to brands brands. (laughs) and yeah you have a phenomenal list of partners you're working with like Mm -hmm. United I actually um, texted my daughter like do you know about the discount for (laughs) 18 to 22 year olds that I learned about through you but how do you balance that without going nuts um I feel like I'm just now figuring that out and for a long time it was just like just doing what I needed to do kind of thing and every now and then I would try to like make a routine or whatever but it wouldn't last and then I would like feel really upset about it and beat myself up about it and now even like just my framework of how this whole like self-care and self-love thing works has changed because I used to put a lot of pressure on myself to make it perfect and if I didn't follow this certain agenda like perfectly then I was messing up and everything would be messed up and like can only go this one way and so um, now I'm able to look at it with so much more flexibility and I just kind of accept everything that I try to do and I'm so proud of myself for that and then you know it doesn't really matter and the next day I can completely start again and try again and I've started to like build systems that work for me like I make this thing called the GTPT list which is my grateful to prioritize today list and I realized that the way that I was viewing the things that I had to do or need to do was like very 
like it was a punishment almost like my to-do list and I don't know I, I personally just had an issue with how that was like presented how I presented that to myself once I started shifting that um everything just started like calming down and it was just more like chill and I was able to enjoy what I do and um, to be able to prioritize myself as well. The ideal thing is to be able to do those self-care things and then jump into my work stuff and then at night to go back into self-care. So it's just like this cocoon of re-nourishing and re-energizing and um, centering my mindset on really just positive things. What about yeah. productivity? I think produ productivity is something that um, hounds me because I like being <laughs> yeah. just productive every minute and if I'm not, I'm frustrated. And then if I'm not productive and not filling that space with joy, mm. that's so, like, it just kills me. Yeah. Oh, I struggle with that too. But it, in terms of kind of breaking down this um, idea that, like, if you're not doing anything, you're not valuable like you know we are in a capitalistic society so all we're doing going to school is working to get a job and when you get a job you know you're working to please these people and it's just always about like fulfilling something else other than yourself and um i've had to break that down a lot and you know over like december and winter break i was like okay i'm not gonna go on social media for a week and i'm not gonna do any work stuff i'm not gonna use my computer I was so bored, I had nothing to do. <laughs> but it was also kind of scary, like I have nothing to do if I don't have a computer or my phone. It didn't help me in any way having that break. I didn't feel like I grew or learned anything, unfortunately, but I think it just kind of made me think about, well, how can I create like hobbies or interests that are non-dependent on like my career or helping other people to be honest like how can I do things that are just fulfilling for me and have no purpose at the same time I think like this idea of impermanence and like letting go of the things that I create and just being more free is something that I want to <laughs> cultivate but it's hard it's so hard yeah <laughs> uh, travel you've traveled a ton uh Portugal and Dubai and London and Rome and Atlanta, <laughs> which doesn't seem like part of that set. Uh, what do you gain from travel? Oh, I gain everything. I, I love traveling. For instance, um, I went to Italy for the first time last year and they, like in terms of planning events and stuff, whole different ball game. It's very relaxed. I mean, it was an insane flight. Um, I was in California, then I had to fly back to New York, and then the same day fly to um, Milan. And so that was crazy. I was stressing so much. I'm like, I'm not going to make my speech. Like, I'm not going to be able to get there. I land in Milan and I call the event people. And I'm like, listen, I'm going through customs. Like, there's no way I'm going to make it. And they're like, yes, you will. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Like I'm in customs, like I'm freaking out and they're just not. So I figured, okay, if they're not worried about it, I'm just not going to be worried about it either. So we go through it. I'm still rushing because I'm like, I can't be late to this. And we go to our hotel, we check in, we change our clothes. We get the room so that we can check in and change our clothes fast. And uh, we get to the event and they're like, oh, um, okay, like, good to see you, whatever. And they were, like, two hours behind the schedule. <laughs> so it was, like, it was this lesson of just to go with the flow and what's happening and just not to stress as much. I mean, even there in, in Italy and in Spain um, and in Portugal as well, they have, you know, their siestas, they prioritize their downtime and their naps and their meals. And 
I love that so much. I think that's a huge piece of why we're so like anxiety ridden and just like wired up here. We just like don't take time for ourselves to chill out and that's an everyday thing for them. Knowing a lot about sort of social justice and maybe a little bit about youth activism in mm -hmm. the US, what does it seem like in other countries and in what ways is it different and what lessons can we take from them for ourselves? I think the approach is pretty similar. I think that a lot of kids are just mad and and feel let down and that's totally understandable. Um, and I feel like that's a lot of what's fueling them. But I've also met a lot of activists who are just fueled by love for the planet and the animals and their communities. And, you know, I prefer the, the love-fueled approach. I think that's kind of the long game. You know, anger, it's got to burn out eventually. It's, it's something that requires a lot of energy that's just really pent up and is expressed in this really forceful way. And I understand, like, force and energy is required in some cases, but the love angle is going to, you know, last over time. And I think that compassion... Um, being able to come back to that and be centered in that is really what's going to propel everything forward. And I see that a lot with the global communities of just a little bit more of a compassionate approach. And I think that's something that um, we should all try to embody. But I've, I mean, I've seen both kind of reflected, but I think especially in even like countries like Dubai, I mean, UAE and, and cities like Dubai, um, they, their level of commitment to the happiness of the people that live there i've never seen anything like that i mean they they build and create everything with such intention and that's what's has lacked unfortunately with the foundation of our country is just like intention and people first type of mentality i mean when i first went to dubai i was speaking on a panel with a minister of happiness like they have a minister of happiness there are streets there called happiness road like and it's almost like this subliminal programming of like your happiness is what matters here, and um, I think that is just so cool to see. And it's cool, to, maybe a little freaky, but cool. I mean, it's pretty cool because here the subliminal thing is like, be stressed out. Like, you know, you look at the billboards and you're like, are you unhappy with your body? Or like, do you have taxes that like you need to pay or whatever? It's it's always this thing of like, do I? <laughs> Am I unhappy with myself? Like. It's always this thing that's like triggering our insecurities or our fear or something negative. I, I just um, feel like, yeah, that's something that we can try to embody and yeah, cultivate for ourselves. Even if we can't rely on like the entire country to do that, we can build communities where uh, the foundation of that is to empower and uplift people. And I think that's really what can be very powerful. And, and sort of looking ahead, what are the things that you have set out for yourself it's not gonna be college because you're doing so many other things um what excites you the most you know one of my biggest goals is of course to write a book and now it's coming out this spring um and so i'm really really looking forward to my book tour later this year getting to just connect with people and talk about things like this and have a conversation that is inclusive of you know all the things that so many are passionate about. I think we often forget that like the foundation of all our problems are just like human development and human emotional issues and like that's where everything stems from. And so if we're able to nourish that and, and to help others realize their potential and realize that they're valuable and needed and important in this world, then we're going to minimize so much of the kind of lack of reverence for life that we're seeing in, in our world. And so um, 
that's something I'm really excited about. And then with my organization, uh, Happy, we are finally getting like connections in the Hudson Valley because we've been here only like three years in New York. And so we are working with a school to like really have that be our headquarters. And that's super exciting um, because we'll be able to work with this core group of students. But we're also finishing up a tour that we're doing with a company called Fruit Bliss. And What's that's. That? Fruit Bliss, they make um, rehydrated fruit, so it's literally just fruit and water um, as an alternative to dried fruit, and so, you know, sugar-free, all that good stuff, and so um, we're doing a tour with them where we have a sugar shockers demonstration where basically we show kids, like, how many teaspoons of sugar are in different um, popular products, and how important it is to investigate food labels and things like that. But looking even more forward into the future, we're working on an online academy where we're able to take all this information virtually and uh, have that just be, you know, impacting people on a global scale. So we're very, very excited about that. Is there a product that you think is so much better than the hype? A food that you eat or something that you buy at the grocery store that listeners can buy that is like, oh my God, if you only knew how good this was, it would be in every single meal that you make. Oh, a food. Um, or like a, um, a piece of equipment. Someone okay. told me about like the most perfect tea kettle. I'm like, okay, I'm so <laughs> in because I'm always struggling with my tea kettle. Yeah. Um, okay, I guess, can I have two things? Yeah, you totally can. have something. Okay, so... The first thing that I just thought of that is food related is um, this Breville smoker gun. So I got it maybe like two years ago, but it's like this little smoker gun that has a tube that you just put into like a container of food, cover it with like saran wrap or something like that. And you're able to smoke your food with like this super tiny little portable thing. You can add like wood chips in this little compartment at the top and it just adds this incredible, like, deep, smoky flavor to anything. So the other day, I did, like, roasted apples with this um, eight-grain porridge, and I roasted apples, and then I put, like, apple with smoke on it. It was just insane. Like, it took breakfast to a whole other level. So, um, and then the thing that I prepared to say was... Um, a huge one that I've been loving so far is uh, this Muse meditation headband. Um, I recently got it over the holidays and basically it's like this brain wave sensing band that is connected to a meditation app and you like put it on and it hooks over, on, uh, over your ears and basically when you're wearing it, it tracks like your heart rate and your brain waves, your posture, all these different things to create like these different meditation experiences and so it almost sets like a goal for you in mind so you have to like make the music change with your brain so um for instance i'll have like a nature sound and it'll sound like a thunderstorm if your mind is super active and then it will start calming down and you'll hear birds when you're actually like at a meditation state and so it's really fun like i make it a goal to like hear as many birds as possible and i think it's like a kind of a cool way to compete with yourself and like see how many birds you can hear and that type of thing but also be able to chill out at the same time i love the sound of that yeah that's it's really awesome. that's great and at the end of speaking broadly i always ask my guests to give a shout out broadly to mm -hmm. a woman they admire ideally in the in the world of food your your world's sort of so much bigger than that so i'll let you be as as you like but okay. a, a woman who you think more people need to know about yes um so the person that i think more people need to know about is uh one of my friends her name is andrea manning and she inspires me a lot because um 
she's someone who has just demonstrated to me like the power of being passionate about many things and um you know i think we're often told like when we're growing up to just have one focus and just stay in that lane and like put our all of our eggs in that basket but she is equally passionate and knowledgeable about so many different things and it just inspires me to continue to like learn more and learn about people who are completely different from me and, and have different life experiences and to advocate for those people and, and create more connections between, you know, the things that I care about and their experience as well because everything at the end of the day is interconnected. So she's a huge inspiration to me in that sense and she's working on this really cool project called Access the Polls um, for disabled folks to be able to vote more easily and, and really have an experience that's um, accessible for them. So yeah guys follow Andrea <laughs> check her out and that is it for this episode of Speaking Broadly Haley thank you so much for joining me thank you for having me you are incredibly inspiring I'm sure everyone listening will agree and um, I want to thank Amanda the engineer for the day and Haley's mom has been very quiet the whole time yes but, but she's been getting the photos of videos the, but she's got content video. queen <laughs> she is content queen she's behind yeah. the scenes content queen I always queen. say she's the most Gen Z mom on the planet like she's <laughs> on it <laughs> We were so happy to have you here. Thank you. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Have a fantastic week. Signing off for Speaking Broadly. Speaking Broadly is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without the support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Sherry Bayer, the host of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm thrilled to let you know about HOST, Summit Plus Social, a new conference for and about the hospitality industry, taking place Monday, January 27th, 2020, at the William Vale in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York City. Based on my All in the Industry show, HOST, which stands for Hospitality Operations, Services, and Technology, will bring behind-the-scenes talent in hospitality to the forefront in a live format, featuring guests from some of my most popular episodes, including Drew Niporent, Rita Jamey, Crystal Mobiani, J.J. Johnson, and Jeff Gordonier. Our event will include intimate panels, one-on-one -on -one interviews, industry news discussions, curated lunch conversations, and more. Plus, of course, we will have outstanding food and drink throughout the day, including an energizing closing reception. For more information and tickets, please go to allintheindustry.com. And also, please follow us at All Industry on Instagram and Twitter. I hope you will join us in celebrating our dynamic hospitality industry. Many thanks.